The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. This week, we are bringing you another Spark Hot Take segment where we tackle hot topics in conversation with expert guides from the Spark Brain Trust. And today, we are hearing from Charlie Gilkey about a very important and timely topic. Charlie is a strategic advisor, executive coach, founder of the Productive Flourishing Consultancy, author of the multi-award winning book, Start Finishing, and the creator of the Momentum app. And today, we take a deep dive into team habits and look at how the past few years of global disruption and rapid change have forced us to really re-examine what it means to belong and feel supported in our workplaces and what habits and rituals might support this. Charlie gives us some really interesting and useful insight on how we took for granted the social fabric that just kind of existed in workplaces before we went remote. And we ask, how do you express the language of belonging and inclusion in remote teams versus co-located teams? And he offers a powerful question to ask your employees and colleagues to build belonging and the habits of belonging within your teams. Enjoy this Spark Hot Take on workways, team habits, and the importance of cultivating belonging and inclusion in all workspaces. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Spark. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Charlie Gilkey, Mr. Professor, Doctor, it's always good to be hanging out with you, talking about ideas that matter, especially in the world of business. I love talking with you about a lot of the work that you're doing also, because it, it tends to be really different than the work that I'm doing and the folks who I often work with. And you often have this um, really team dynamic focus, leadership dynamic focus. You go in, you like, you'll work intensively with leaders and teams. So you see different things. And often, because I, I feel like you have such a grounded common presence, I sense that people share things with you in team context and leadership context that they might not feel comfortable sharing with others. So I want to mine what you have been noticing lately in the context of 
teams and leaders in the work world that we live in because there is so much going on. There's so much spinning in people's heads. What are you seeing as sort of like a really hot area of inquiry, conversation, sometimes struggle, even conflict maybe that we can dive into in today's conversation? I love that setup. Because it's always been present in my work, but the pandemic really heightened it. And largely, there's a lot of conversations either about workways or team habits. I'll unpack each of those, right? Each of those two different concepts. But the pandemic heightened these because basically, not since World War II have we had such a dramatic change in the way that we work. Like we, you know, people think the computer revolution and internet revolution is like, no, we actually had time to adjust to that, right? There was a time in which we were getting CDs in the, in the email or CDs in the mail so we can do the online thing. We, we sort of had time to adapt to all of that. But there's like a day, March 13th, 2020, <laughs> right? Where the world of work shifted, boom, done, right? And we know we can't go back. And it's just one of those, it may go down as one of those like shifts in human evolution, or at least in modern work that we can't go like there is a before and after. And so, you know, I mentioned two concepts, workways and team habits or they're related workways or what they sound like. They're just a cluster of ways in which we do work together. So between how we structure teams, between policies and, you know, a part, a segment of workways are actually what I call our team habits, right? And these all um, interrelate with each other. And so much of the rich conversation, but also awkward conversation, has been around the importance of really simple team habits. Really, really simple team habits. I'll give an example here. I was working with a client yesterday, and we were really talking about their how people advance through the different roles in their team, how you get promoted, what being at a different level of a researcher meant, so on and so forth. And he's like, hey, yeah, this is great, but you've also talked about like core team habits, Charlie. Like, I think some of our team, they just don't have the basic productivity skills um, or the basic team habits that, that are helping us be successful. So obviously clients get sort of indoctrinated into the language. So he was using it back, but I'll give an example, like shoot, move, communicate, get it from the army. Um, and the basic idea is you take an action that moves somewhere forward. And then you tell someone what you did, right? You take an action, it moves it forward. You tell someone what you did. Really simple, really, really simple. Except when you look at how many fall downs we have in teams, especially remote teams, it comes down to someone doing something and not communicating with other people, um, or not doing something and not communicating that people. So, you know, you run one direction thinking that person's done it, they haven't done it, and all of a sudden you're out there on a the hook. Well, in co-located work, it's for some types of co-located work, it's easy to see if someone has done something. But in knowledge work, and especially in remote knowledge work, you don't know unless someone speaks up about it. Another one of those habits were like, you know, speaking up when you've fallen down. Very basic. But when you practice that as a team habit and normalize that at any given point, someone's going to be behind. That's just the world of work, right? And that one person being behind affects the team's productivity and the team's effectiveness. When we normalize that we're behind and we create a team habit and mechanism by which we can say that, it turns out teams don't fall as far behind. And so it's been really fascinating to me because um, I call these rocket practice points, right? They're not rocket science. They're not difficult to understand, but the difficulty comes in practicing them day in, day out, day in, day out. So it's been really fascinating to see this coming from really, really multiple graduate degree, you know, computer scientists sort of side of things to folks who are, you know, landscape designers, folks who are UX researchers, 
all the way down to folks who just sell clothes. It's the same pattern over and over again. And leaders are, I think, just assuming people have these habits and dismissing them until I ask them questions about whether they're doing it. And then they realize they're not doing the habit either. (laughs) Mm. So that's what's been really fascinating for me for a while. Yeah. I mean, the notion of really, I love the two phrases, and I've heard you use them before in conversation with me, workways um, and team habits and the way that they sort of weave together. And yeah, I mean, I I feel like those two things were probably huge issues, you know, in before times. But now when you've got first a a tremendous amount of disruption, a tremendous amount of people re-examining how they want to work, um, what they want to say yes to, what they want to say no to, and a tremendous amount of disruption in the mode of work and the channels of work and the channels of interaction and shared accountability, shared communication, shared progress tracking. It's almost like everything got blown up all at once. Um, And like you alluded to, is this more disruptive than the dawn of the internet? Or like, maybe not if you look at just sort of like the mechanism, but if you look at the compression of time that's built into like our ability to adopt and adapt to like the profound level of change. Yeah, like this has not happened in our lifetimes before. And And if we discount that, if we just write it off, you know, and say, well, I can point to another point in time where like, there was equal level of like delta of actual change. It's like, yes, and you've got to look at the compression, like our human capacity to adopt and adapt. It's pretty limited. <laughs> and we, and we don't, we like to think of ourselves as much more agile than I think we often are. And I think not actually owning that, not being honest about it can really trip us up. Absolutely. Well, it's infinite over time, right? If we have a thousand years, like when we take that perspective, humans as a species can and will adapt. We've shown that, right? But an individual human in a lifetime, there's only so much we can pick up at the same time. And I, and I do need to, you know, this might take us a little bit further afield. I think the pandemic happened conjunctly, conjunctively in time with the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matter movement. And there's this sort of massive understanding that the system is not working. There's there's massive problems with this with the social order that we're in right now. And then we have this massive disruption to the way work works. Um, and those conjoined at the same time. So like when people were talking about, you know, essential workers going back to work, not going back to work, and they were focused on the mechanics of getting folks back to work, I was like, I don't think you're recognizing how many people are looking at the situation and saying, I'm opting out of the situation. I'm opting out of the norm that, that has been presented in front of me. If we don't have that conversation, then people are going to do what they're doing, which is show back up to work only when they absolutely have to. When the pain of not working and getting the paycheck like is higher than the pain of, you know, um, of what they're currently doing. So we have these two things going on at the same time. And I say World War II because in the United States, happened in the world, but I focus on the United States. The myth of it is a lot of the men went to war. Women went into the factories, into the workplace. Production scaled at such a rate that we had to figure out as a society, not only who's doing the work, but how work at that scale can happen. So it was a compressed amount of time. And, you know, that was that that last sort of chunk. And we're still dealing with ramifications of that. Now we've got this sort of scenario going on. So it's a huge issue. And... I think what it's coming to is much like a personal habit. When you really look at the list of personal habits that lead to thriving, they haven't changed much in the last 3,000 years, right? We've been saying the same things in just different contexts. And the simplicity of them, I think, is what trips so many people up. Like, oh, I figured it out. No, you haven't figured it out. I was working with another client doing another facilitation. And they're like, we got it, Charlie. I was like, you you haven't begun to get this. (laughs) 
right? You've got the idea. What's the practice? And how are you going to do this for the next 15 to 18 months? Because that's what we're talking about with the level of change that we're talking about for that particular client in that organization. To be clear, I don't, if I sound dismissive when I'm like, you don't even, you don't get it. It's just because I've been doing this long enough to see the people say, yeah, 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 I got it. And the next week they're doing the same thing that they were doing in the session. It was like, no, it's not about knowing. It's about the practice and the doing. And so a lot of it has been really having the conversation. And the other piece that I'll say here that, that's really been pulled up is our team habits around belonging, right? Mm. When you work co-located with other humans, we have so many social practices that either make people feel like they're a part of a team and they belong or they don't, right? We know, especially as part of the movements that I mentioned earlier, we know the ones that don't. But there are, are a whole lot of just like, hey, Jonathan, I'm, I'm going out for coffee. Would you like me to get you some? It's not about the coffee, right? It's actually about you're a human being that I care about. I thought about you. I probably know your preferences. And I took that 15 seconds to engage with you, not about work, but as a human, to see if I could support you. We don't have a lot of virtual analogs to that, right? And especially when you start looking at Zoom fatigue and things like that, it's like you don't want to yet another Zoom meeting. But how do you express this language of belonging and appreciation and inclusion in a virtual world or in a, in a hybrid world so that people feel like they belong? And that's, that's where so much of a, lot of a lot of the tension and a lot of the burnout we're facing I wish I were at a research lab that did more of this. Yes, I think it's coming about the overload of responsibilities that have happened because of the pandemic. And I think a lot of it is us refiguring out how we're going to be with each other and renegotiating that and figuring out like how that works. That's incredibly hard when you think about the fact that we are a cooperative species that has evolved to stay in good relationships with each other. Yeah, I'm fascinated by this idea of team habits around belonging, in, in part because, you know, I've done a lot of research on belonging and it's crystal clear it is a physiological, it is a psychological need. You know, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy, it's the center of Maslow's hierarchy. Honestly, I actually see Maslow's hierarchy as more of a diamond with belonging in the center and mm -hmm. it radiates up and down. Like that to me is actually the anchor for both basic sustenance needs and also aspirational needs. Like belonging is the is the unlock key. And it's also like the bottleneck. It's the thing that trips you up. If you don't have it, you don't really get, get to go up or down. But this notion of belonging on a personal level, I think we get. The notion of belonging that comes from work. You know, it's it's interesting, right? Because there is, an, and Robert Putnam writes about this in Bowling Alone, and so many other people have written mm -hmm. about it since then, about how for generations we found belonging in faith-based communities, um, in work. Work was definitely a source of belonging in local associations and leagues. You know, the title of the book, literally bowling, you know, your local bowling league, your local mm -hmm. whatever it is. And those sources are either going away, they don't exist anymore, or they no longer provide that. So I think we get that and we feel the loss in a personal context. But what you're talking about is, you know, if we hone in on one of those, the notion of work as a really powerful Unvaluable place where we get to feel a sense of belonging. That was fraught in my mind. I mean, we, we saw that crumbling. Yeah. As I just described over the last generation, even before, you know, like mm -hmm. everything started to go remote. We know that, you know, depending on who you are, 
you never felt that. In fact, you felt the exact opposite. And I think a lot of our eyes, like people's eyes have been open to the fact that like, oh, my experience of belonging in this organization, which I just assumed was automatic and like everybody felt that. No, actually other people like walked in the door and immediately felt like they were ostracized and had to you know, like consistently code switch or perform or uh, behave in a certain way just to be accepted when they walk in the door. So we start to see that, you know, okay, so this has not been a universal experience in any way, shape or form. And now we have this shift where we've got a hybrid workforce. And a lot of what you were describing, you describe them as habits of belonging. But my sense is that these have never, whether it's personal or in a, in a workplace, they've never been intentional habits of belonging. They were just ways of being. They're social context. They're like fabric that just kind of like existed within an organization. It existed before you showed up and it existed mm-hmm. like after your last day. So I think a lot of us just assume this is sort of like we're going to get our needs met in this particular way or not. And now with this switch to remote, my sense is what's happening is we now have to make it an intentional habit. Like we now actually have to say, okay, so if this thing really matters to us as human beings, and this thing was one of the primary reasons that many people were staying, Mm -hmm. even if they didn't really love the work, even if their like day-to-day tasks and activities and processes didn't spark them, they were so connected to the culture and the people and the sense of belonging. And like they were accepted and embraced. And maybe that's the only place in their life where they actually felt that they're not Mm -hmm. going to leave. And we can talk about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, by the way. But that was just, it was in the air. Mm-hmm. And now we have to be like, oh, if we want people to stay and to be activated and alive and participate, we actually now have to really like ask what goes into this to make it functional and actually like really a flourishing set of team habits. Take me deeper into this in particular, because um, like, what are you seeing? How are people addressing this or not addressing it? And what are the what are the elements or the habits that you're you're focusing on? I'll take a little bit deeper, and you know, this is actually so team habits, which is the book that the name of the book that's going to be coming out, actually started out as workways. And the reason I started that with is because there is a sociologist term, um, Sumner is the one that came up with it, called folkways, right? So we normally hear it in sociology, folkways and mores, folkways and mores. And the thing about folkways is a lot of times they're implicit agreements, right? Let's take a, 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 a really common American folkway. Like if you're going over someone else's house and you're not sure what to do, what do you do? You sort of take them a bottle of wine or you take them like you bring food or you do something like that, right? Now, it's never really codified that like if you go over someone's house, you must do that. It's not like a explicit sort of agreement with people that it's what you do, but it's what we do. Right. And so many of our workways are like that. Right. Where it's just not that we sat down and said, okay, this is how we create belonging and this is what we do. And I think when you look at the research of what creates good leaders and what creates good teams, it has been behaviors that create belonging, but it hasn't been that language. Right. Mm. Um, so when we look at that classical, you know, really outdated version of leadership of that extroverted white male that's commanding people and doing all that kind of whatnot. We've learned that that's not actually usually the most effective form of leadership, even though it's the the myth in the model. Usually really great leaders are quiet, usually a bit more introverted and inclusive of who they bring in, can listen to a lot of different sides and still make a decision. But when you look at some of those behaviors, those are the behaviors that create belongings in groups of individuals or groups of people. So we've been doing it. We just haven't talked about it in that way. Right. And so, again, so much of what I'm going to say here is going to sound pretty simple. It's not rocket practice or rocket science, it's rocket practice. So, a few things. One, actually carving out time in team meetings 
to discuss things like non-work wins. Like a, a question that I'll, I'll encourage clients to ask on meetings is like, what are your non-work wins for over the last week? And why that question works is because it gives both the introverted and sort of maybe some of the quieter people at least something that they can talk about. It's not like, hey, tell me your dreams. That's too much. That's way too much for a lot of folks, right? But I can celebrate that like over the weekend, my peppers turn and, you know, they're starting to be and you learn a lot about me and that creates both weak and strong ties and conversation points for us to show up. And maybe I grow tomatoes, you grow peppers. Well, guess what? All of a sudden we are that much tighter into a community, right? So other simple things like being super intentional about how you, what, what you call meetings. So inviting a bunch of people who don't feel like they're either marketers or strategic thinkers to a marketing strategy meeting means that that entire meeting for those folks that don't feel like they belong there, they're like, why am I here? How do I contribute? So on and so forth. Just thinking about changing the name of that to be much more pointed and thinking about who's in the team. So maybe it's not a marketing strategy meeting. Maybe it's an event planning meeting. Okay. Well, I know I do events and I know I plan. I can show up. It might actually be (laughs) doing that same work. I think for leaders and Douglas Conant and Mette Norgard wrote touch points and some of the um, things that I continually coach clients on executive coaching clients is just baking 10 to 15 minute touch points with their teammates every day. Like the points in the hallway, not the long performance meeting, not the long sort of feedback session, but just touch points that help them understand their team. Hey, how's your kid doing? Hey, I know we talked about that thing. Are you doing all right with that? (laughs) Right. Whatever that is creates that sense of belonging and, and relationship without it being unprofessional. Right. And so a lot of times, JL folks are like, really, it's like that. That's what I need to do. And I'm like, try it for a month and see what happens. And inevitably, they'll come back and be like, you know what? There's less friction in the team. We seemed like projects are going smoother. They seem to be performing well. Like, you know, they're showing up engaged in meetings. And sometimes they won't see the link between some of these things and those belonging practices. And so it's a weird thing. So the Gottmans have made a really good point that, um, you know, some people in the relationship, I'll, I'll use the, the metaphor they use about, or the, the, the context they use about sex, but it applies more broadly, right? Some people need to feel connected before they can do that activity, right? Some people, and it's gendered. So in our society, women, largely speaking, need to feel connected and need to feel that sense of emotional intimacy before they can have sexual intimacy. There are others that need to have that that activity to feel the intimacy. And so the world of work gets really weird because if you walk down the shelves of the romance, you know, the romance aisle and you or, or excuse me, the relationship aisle and you think about the questions that are asked there, like is is are they the one? Are we going to be a fit for life? Like what are our future plans? How do we avoid conflict? Okay, those are the those are what's on that aisle. If you go down the business aisle, we're asking the same questions. Is this job the one? How do I work well with my team? Like, is this company for me? How do I, you know, they're the same basic human questions. So it gets really strange because in any good system, workways and team habits are systems, we, our normal sense of cause and effect gets wonky. Usually we think we have to have belonging to have high performance. Right. Or we have to have performance to get high belonging. 
the way systems work is each feed each other. There are some people on your team that the best way to get them into belonging and connection and rapport is actually to win and do great work together, right? You got to get into the work, do it together. Great stuff will happen. And then they'll feel connected and bonded and things like that. And they'll go, they'll go to hell and back with each other. Other teams, you need to have a lot of the belonging first and then they'll do great things and go to hell and back with each other. So as a leader and as anyone on a team, you're always modulating like who's needing what to really create this interdependent feedback loop. Yeah. And, and anyone who's led any team or like more than one team knows that there's that moment where you're like, okay, it's time for a team building exercise. And you'll see if it's a big enough team, you have enough people in there, half the people, whether they're doing it overtly or not, are going to be rolling their eyes and being like, can we just get to work? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and, and the other half are like, oh, this is awesome. Like, I really, this is going to really help us feel connected and then we'll be able to do our best work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's really interesting to sort of like notice how people are, are differently wired that way. And you can't just assume. Um, that everybody's the same and then treat them uh, the same. It is really interesting. Like at the end of the day, it comes down to um, it's all personal. And even, you know, as, as you were talking, like for a moment, I was thinking, wait, like, so as a leader, you're saying just set up a whole bunch of additional meetings for people on your team, just one-on-one. Cause people these days are like, please do not add anything else to my calendar. And that's not what you're saying. Like I had to nope. make the quick translation. What you're saying, if I'm hearing it right is, no, literally like touch base for a short amount of time, not for the purpose of making a decision or solving a problem, but simply for the purpose of saying, I see you. Um, how are you? And that's it. Like nothing has to be solved. Nothing has to be figured out or decided. Like that alone has value and it doesn't need to be long. In my calendar app, you know, like my standard block, if somebody wants like to get on my calendar, which I generally don't make available to anybody anyway, because I don't even have time for that. But I said it, it's like, I think it's 15 or 20 minutes now. And people are like, wait, but isn't, isn't like the standard appointment, no matter what it is, an hour or half an hour? I'm like, why? 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 Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that about, no, I'm, I'm absolutely not saying, hey, go add a whole bunch of extra work. And meetings and things to your calendar. Um, what I'm actually suggesting, and I talk about this in a chapter of the book, when we think about the building blocks of a meeting, that one of the building blocks of a meeting can be around belonging. And what I'm trying to, su- or what I am suggesting is we can take the waste out of some of the stuff we do. Like, you know, there's that whole meme of like, you know, don't send the meeting invite, send the email. I'm like, send the email about the updates. Yes. But let's reclaim some of that time to come and actually have some of the belonging conversations. And again, they don't have to be deep soul ones. They can be, what are your non-work wins? What were the highlights in your work over the last month? And you do this in a team setting. That's the important. Because the, you're trying to develop interpersonal relationships between each member of your team and not just a leader teammate dynamic, right? If that's the only dynamic that you have, most of your work and as a leader, most of your work is going to be running around for six different people trying to get six different people to do something versus being able to have one message that the rest of the team can then move forward. So it's really about taking the things we're doing that I that are either not effective to start with and or are pushing us further away from belonging and editing those out, re-stealing that time and saying, you know what, we're going to take five minutes. And 
Jonathan, you'd be surprised how much you can do in five minutes. I call it, I, I call it the gift of five minutes in a meeting because in five minutes you could actually connect with each other, talk about what's exciting you, exciting you outside of work. You could come up with next actions from the meeting, right? So that everyone knows what needs to be done. Or you could actually say, you know what? We're done. Let's all just take five minutes and go chill and do something like go walk around the block. Go like have coffee with you. Like, let's get out of this because we did what we needed to do. Why are we a slave to an hour or however long the meeting is? So you can do a lot of things in five minutes as a team. And that's what I want to say here is so much of my current work is about shifting the responsibility from just being the manager or the leader. Because in our team and in the way that I'm talking about it, these are the four to eight people you spend 80% of your time working with day in, day out. You don't need higher headquarters to tell you you can do something. You don't need permission from your manager. You don't need anyone to say, hey, how about you schedule 15 minutes and catch up with each other? You can just do that. It is your team. And when we make our team's life work better, or excuse me, when we make our team's life better, we make our work better. And if we make all of our work better, we make our lives better because of how much time we spend at work. Yeah, I totally uh, agree with all of that, Charlie. And I'm just super curious and excited to see how people step into the notion of really prioritizing belonging in the context of teams, organizations, potentially reinvigorating the role of companies in actually being a legitimate source of it for people when so many other sources are actually going away and elevating the notion of crafting it to the level of intentional action and habit. So fascinating. I can't read to actually like read what you wrote about it in more detail. And and I think we're going to debrief on this down the road again, as, as, as you learn more and I learn more. As always, Charlie, it's great hanging out with you, having conversation, learning from you, and for all of our fantastic listening community. I hope you enjoyed and learned and think about those ideas in the context of your own work, whether you're on a team, you're working as a solo, whether you are a leader, it all matters. And that's it for this week. We will see you all again next week. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life. Take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.